I want to welcome you into uh, part two of a very short two-part series that we've just been calling Jesus Is, looking at who Jesus is. Uh, if I haven't introduced myself yet, sorry, my name's Gareth, I'm the senior leader here alongside my wife Hannah. Hannah's not very well this morning, so she does send her, her, her wishes and her love, she's, she's at home. Um, it's kind of customary, and I know Neil will like this, that we start with a very bad joke. Um, so one day I was, uh, I, I was out in a, in a, on, a, on a retreat and I happened to go into a monastery. And I walked into this monastery and I could hear a group of people far, far away and they were, they were shouting something. And the closer I got to them, I could hear they were going, Greg, 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 Greg. I thought, well, that's a bit odd. And I carried on walking and I got to another room and I could hear another group of people going, Ian, Ian, Ian. Gregorian chant. How's that, Neil, out of 10? <laughs> we began last week to ask this question, who is Jesus? Who's this man we follow? Who's this man from Galilee? Who's this carpenter who turned the world upside down? A guy, when you read the biblical text, when you read the other texts there are about Jesus, he came from the wrong social class. He came from the wrong place. He spoke with the wrong accent. He attracted the wrong kind of followers. Who was this guy, a guy from an obscure village who became the greatest teacher the world has ever known? Who is Jesus? And it's important we know who Jesus is. There's a narrative in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus is traveling with his disciples and he turns to them and says, who do people say that I am? And Jesus hasn't got an identity crisis, by the way. He's, he's, he's kind of testing them. He's saying, who do these people say that I am? And, and they say, well, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Or, or, or you're one of the other prophets. Come back to life. And, and, and then Jesus turns to them and, and he changes the focus. He says, okay, okay, okay. Question. Who do we say that I am? Everything boils down to this. Who is Jesus to me? And I want to bring uh, two messages. So if you weren't here last week, you can catch up online where we looked at the phrase that, Jesus, that Peter gives back. Because Peter says this, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And when you read John's gospel, these two phrases, Messiah and Son of God, they just go together. John says at the end of his gospel that the whole reason he wrote his book is that so you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing in him, you'll have life by the power of his name. There's a, there's a passage where Jesus goes to a guy called Lazarus' house. Lazarus has died. Jesus goes to the house and he's just about to go in and raise Lazarus from the dead. And he turns to Mary, Lazarus' sister. He says, okay, Mary, before I do this, do you believe? And Mary says this, yes, I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And the idea of the Son of God comes from something that Christians believe called the Trinity, that we have one God who exists in three uh, distinct persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So, so Jesus is not God's Son in the sense of, of a human father and a son. You know, God didn't get married and have a son. But Jesus is God's Son in the sense he's God revealed in human form. God, John's Gospel explains it like this, that in the beginning, and he uses this phrase, the word, um, the Greek word there is, is the word logos, and it means the message of God. And it's John's way of describing Jesus, that Jesus is the word of God. He's the message of God. He's the embodiment 
of the, the, the message of God. And so he says, in the beginning, the word, that, that message of God, it already existed. It was with God. Jesus was there at the start of creation. He says, the word was God, existed in the beginning with God. So, so Jesus was always there. But he says, later, the word became human. So another way of saying that, in, in older translations, says the word became flesh. We get that phrase, God incarnate. God himself became human and made his home among us. So, so now God himself, he, he comes to earth, he puts on skin. And it's where we get that Christmas phrase, Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us. It says that he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. If you've ever been to a Christmas play, you'll, you'll remember that part in the Christmas play where, where a virgin called Mary is visited by an angel who says, you're going to be the mother of Jesus. And the, and the angel says, you name him Jesus. And look at what Mary says. Oh, sorry, the angel says, he says, he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. Mary says, well, how is this going to happen? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The baby that will be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. So, so Mary being a virgin to, to us as, as Christians is really, really important because if Jesus had a biological father, he couldn't have been the Son of God. And do you know what? So, so we've got angels saying he's going to be the son of God. Then Jesus goes into his ministry, and, and there's moments in his ministry where he casts out demons. And on two separate occasions, these demons, as they come out of people's bodies, they say this, you're the son of God. So we've got angels that say Jesus is or will be the son of God. We've got demons who are saying Jesus is the son of God. There's two moments where God himself calls Jesus my son. So Jesus' baptism, we said that Jesus has been baptized. He comes up from the water, the heavens open, and, and a dove comes down, and there's loads of symbolism there. And it says this, a voice came from heaven. So God's voice said, this is my beloved son. And God will do that again later on. There's a moment where Jesus takes some disciples up to a mountain for an event called the Transfiguration. And I won't go into that, but again, we see God repeating this phrase, this is my beloved son. It's significant today that as, as Sophie and Neil dedicated Cavern to God this morning, actually Mary and Joseph did the same with Jesus. Even though Joseph wasn't Jesus' actual father, he, he, was, he was his earthly father, but in Jewish tradition at 40 days old, they would take the baby to the temple to be dedicated to God. So we have Jesus dedicated at 40, years, 40 days old in the temple. 30 years later, we get Jesus dedicating himself to God through baptism. And you know, our prayers for every child is we can dedicate them really, really young, but our prayer is that they get to a point where they dedicate themselves to God. And we call that baptism. It's a moment of self-dedication to Jesus. It's why we don't do infant baptisms or, or christenings. We believe strongly that a child should make their own decision to follow Jesus when they're ready. And for us, baptism is a symbol of that decision. So Jesus is the Son of God. The gospel writer said it. The angel said it. Demons said it. Even God said it. But I want to go back to Jesus' question because he says this, but who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? And you might be thinking, well, you know, Jesus was a good guy. He was a good teacher, but he can't have been the Son of God. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, one of the greatest minds of the 20th century, he wrote this. 
I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, that I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. And then he just gives this line, you must make your choice. Whoever this man was and is, the son of God or a madman or something worse, you can shut him up as a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come with, and I love C.S. Lewis, I love this, the man who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia about Aslan, let's not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that open to us and he didn't intend to. If you were here last week, we talked about how through the Bible we had these, these prophecies of a coming king. Jewish uh, history, all through Jewish history, they have these prophecies of a Messiah, this, this king who's going to come to set them free. And we get 300 prophecies about the Messiah from different people, different points in history. And they're all making these, these, these prophecies, these statements about someone who hasn't even been born yet. And, and they're not just general. You know, they're not saying someone's not sat at their desk in, in, in 1200 BC going, ooh, the Messiah will have brown hair. These are specific. Some of them are made well before Jesus was born. And, and there's a possibility, you know, some people argue, well, Jesus knew all the prophecies and he just made them happen. Possibly, but how could Jesus control where he was born? How could Jesus control where he would grow up? How could Jesus control how many times he was whipped? How could Jesus control whether they pierced his side or not? How could Jesus control whether they broke his legs after the crucifixion or not? It's interesting, Psalm 22, David is, 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 is writing about crucifixion. You can read Psalm 22, it's all about crucifixion. Crucifixion hadn't been invented yet, but David saw it, and he wrote about it. There's a guy called Peter Stone, if you were here last week, we talked about this. He was a professor of maths, and, and his specialism was, was, was probability and statistics. And, and they took all the prophecies of Jesus and said, okay, well, how probable is it, is it that one man could fulfill all these prophecies? And, and they looked at, okay, so how does it work? Could he fulfill five? Could he fulfill 10? Could he fulfill uh, 15? And they got to this point. They said one person fulfilling just 48 prophecies is one in 10 to the power of 157. So let's put that a different way. That's one man out of that number. Do you know that's more than the number of people who've ever lived on earth? Immeasurably. They think there's probably about 17 billion people have ever lived on earth. And that's just for 48 prophecies. That's not even anywhere near halfway. Jesus fulfilled 300. They haven't got a number for that. In fact, when you try and put that number into Google, Google says no. I tried, literally. My Google just sent me to another site and went no. And this team of professors and experts, you know, university geniuses, they gave up because they realized the probability of one man fulfilling 300 pro prophecies is so ridiculously low, it could only be down to him being the Messiah. And Jesus did it, fulfilled everyone. And Peter Stoner says this, any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. So the gospel writers said it, the angels said it, demons said it, 
God said it. C.S. Lewis said it. Science has proved it. Jesus was the Son of God. Paul writes in Colossians that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He says he's God in flesh, God incarnate. Why did God come to earth? So we could have access to God. Writer of Hebrews says this, that long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. So there's those messages again, those 300 prophecies about Jesus. Before Jesus came, God spoke to Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. But then he says, but now in these days, he's spoken to us through his son. So when we read the words of Jesus, that is God speaking to us through his son. And we get this great line, the son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. That, that the Greek word there is um, apogasma, and it literally means to radiate light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He radiates the light of God in our world. He says he radiates God's glory, expresses the character of God. That word character in the Greek is the Greek word, you'll love this one, character. But the original meaning is interesting because it's something like, it's more like a mold or a stamp. It's like a seal you would put on something. So when it says the character of God, it kind of means the, the, the stamp or the seal of God. So you know in, in old times they'd have a letter and they, they'd roll it up and they'd put a seal on it or a stamp on it. It's carrying the authority of the one who sent the letter. So, so Jesus is expressing the character, the authority of God. It's important because the Son is revealing the Father. The sun is radiating God's glory. He's expressing the character of God. You might have known, I've got a telescope here, and I asked one of the team to, to, to lend me this. Um, I never owned a telescope. I never owned a telescope. Um, but a couple of years ago, we went, to, we went on holiday to, to Narbeth, um, I'm down in West Wales, and, and my mum had bought this massive telescope. Like, this telescope's good, but I'm talking about this was a proper telescope. Um, you know, one of these big ones. And she didn't buy it for the holiday, by the way. She, she, she'd already bought it. But, but if, I've got to be honest, I don't know why she bought it. She lives in Pontypool. <laughs> like, the, 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 the standard visibility in Pontypool is six foot. But she buys this massive telescope, and we go out to Narbeth in West Wales, and there's a clear night, and, and my sister, actually, my sister's brilliant with all this stuff. She's really clever with it, and she gets it all set up, and one night it's really clear. Children have gone to bed, and we went out to use the telescope. It was amazing. Like, we saw, like, Venus, we saw Mars, I saw a close-up of the moon. Like, I've seen the moon in more detail than I've ever seen. We saw the International Space Station. It was, it was brilliant, but, but here's the thing, like... We can, we can see the moon, but when we look through a telescope, we see so much more. When we look through the telescope, the things that we, we couldn't see, things that we felt like were, were hidden to our limited eyes, they get revealed. Jesus said this, no one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is God and is in close relationship with the Father has made him known. Another translation says he's revealed God to us. That Jesus is the one who can get so close to God that he reveals God to us. Aspects of God that maybe we'd never experienced. And we, met, and we might be here and you might have those questions about how can God be loving when, when this person's suffering? How can God be good when there's, there's so much war and famine and devastation and poverty and just everything in the news? How can God be good? How can God be in control when all I see is chaos? 
But when we look at God through the words and the life of Jesus, Jesus reveals God to us. Other thing I realized when I thought about this telescope is, is all of these things, do you know how far away they are? They're like thousands of miles away. They're like so far away we couldn't see them properly without a telescope. You know, I, I know Mars is there and maybe I'll get a glimpse of it but, or, or I'll, I'll see a tiny, tiny speck, but, but I wouldn't have seen it without a telescope. Maybe things are so far away actually we can't see them at all. And maybe our image of God is like that, that we, we, we know he's there, we, we believe he's, he's, he's there, but he's too far away. He's too far away to be interested in me. He's too far away to, to understand my life. He's too far away, actually, for me to understand how he could work in my life. He's, he's too far away for me to consider how he might make a difference in my life. But the purpose of a telescope is to bring things that are far away near. Things we don't understand. Things we can't see and bring them near. The purpose of a telescope is to bring things that are far away close. The Bible says we were far from God. You know, by God's very nature, God's holy, and we're not. We, we mess up. We do stuff uh, that, that falls short of God's standards, and our, our stuff, our, our sin, if you like, our, our wrong thoughts, our wrong actions, our, our wrong words, they create a distance between us and God, and because God is holy, there's a distance. Paul writes this, he says, once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near through the blood of Christ. Jesus brings close what was far away. How did he do that? By dying on the cross. For you, for me, and by dying on the cross, Jesus paid for our sin. He wiped it away. He paid for it with his blood. Paul writes in another letter, he says, when we were utterly helpless, when we were at our, our furthest point away from God, Christ came at the right time and died for us. Now, most people wouldn't be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We weren't good enough to be worthy of it. But simply because God loved us, he sent Christ to die for us. It wasn't after we sorted ourselves out. It wasn't after we tried to be holy. It wasn't after we said, God, I'm sorry. Actually, he says, you know, while you're still doing all that bad stuff you're doing, I'm going to send Jesus because that's the extent of my love. He loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us where we are. Paul says this, since our friendship with God, with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, We'll certainly be saved through the life of his son. So we were far away from God, but the son brought us close again. He says this, now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. One of the most famous lines in the Bible is found in John's gospel. It's this, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish. So, so he, he gave his son to die so that we could live in eternity. That's what being a friend of God is. We're brought into a relationship with God. It's that relationship that gives us access to his presence. And it's a relationship based on love that we can't reciprocate. We can't earn it. We, we will never deserve it. But it's a love that was always there because God wanted to be in a relationship with us. 
And it's Jesus the Son that brings us close to God. Jesus the Son that brings and reveals God to us. Jesus the Son that, that makes a way for us to be restored to relationship with God. I don't know about the band back up, but uh, to go back to my, my holiday, um, when I was looking through that telescope, I suddenly got a, a renewed understanding of the, the just enormous creative power of God. That when you look at the sky and you, you, you look at how massive it is and, and how many billions and billions of stars there are, and I want to show you a picture if I can. This is um, NGC 7049. It's a galaxy. It's 100 million light years away, and it looks stunning. Do you know what name NASA gave it? They call it the crown of thorns. NASA. Call this galaxy the crown of thorns. That's pretty cool. That these scientists, these, these incredibly intelligent people would look at this and they would see something that represents Christ. Now that's cool, but I want to show you one more galaxy. This is a whirlpool galaxy. This isn't our galaxy. This galaxy is 31 million light years away from us. Billions on billions of stars. Looks amazing. You could stick that on your, on your screensaver on your phone. Our telescope will never do this, but I want you to see what's in the middle of the galaxy. From 31 million miles away, this is the image of the middle of the galaxy. This is what NASA sees when they look at the middle of this galaxy. From 31 million miles away, God says, I love you. And I put this here as a sign of my love. That, uh, that as NASA are looking at the stars and they're pointing for, uh, and they're looking for the answers to the universe, God plants a cross at the heart of the galaxy. Hey, here I am. God says to Isaiah, I was found by people who weren't looking. I showed myself to people who weren't asking. And it's like he's saying to us, you're looking for something else. You're looking for this, this answer that's out there, but, but here I am. Can I tell you, long before you decided who Jesus is to you, God decided who you are to him. And he loves you. And he chose you. And because he loves you, he sent his son to die to show you grace, to show you mercy, to forgive your sins and give you an invitation to live forever with him. And he asks one question. Who do you say I am? Would you bow your heads as we pray? And I want to ask you to consider that question. Who is Jesus to you? Is he the son of God? And if he is, then your next step is to step into the relationship that he died to give us. There's a prayer that I'm going to pray, and if you're ready to take that step, why don't you pray this prayer with me to, to acknowledge, that, okay, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You died so I could have life. You died so I could be forgiven. You died so that I could be set free from my past, my pain, my hurts, my habits, my hang-ups, because the cross covers all of it. Just pray this prayer with me. 
Jesus, I need you. I admit that I'm far from you. Please forgive me. Save me. Today I make you Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you rose from the dead. Today I put my faith in you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for the gift of new life. If you pray that prayer, we'd love to just connect with you. We've got some gifts we'd love to give you. The first is this book. We'd love to put this book in your hand. This is free from us. We've paid for this. This is yours. It's our honor and our privilege to give this to you. If you prayed that prayer, please just come and take one. We'd love to put this in your hand. We'd love to put a Bible in your hand. Again, we've paid for these. They're our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, take one. Start with Mark's gospel. Start with John's gospel. Go and take away this this incredible book. Why don't we stand together? We're going to sing a great song that starts with these words. Remember those walls that we called sin and shame. They were like prisons that we couldn't escape. But Jesus, the Son of God, he came and he died and he rose. And any wall that could ever separate us from the love of God, it's, it's, it's just rubble. The chorus says this, this is our God. This is who he is. He loves us. He saves us. He bore the cross. He beat the grave. This is our God, King Jesus. Why don't we stand? Let's sing as we close.